Hey, sports fans, you're tuned into the Emerald City Fandom Podcast. We're Seattle fans talking Seattle sports. We're your hosts. I'm Connor. I'm Sam. And I'm Justin. You ready to get started? Let's send it! Welcome back to the pod, folks. Hope everyone had a Merry Christmas for all that celebrate. And uh, we're just a few days away from the new year and a few days away from possibly the biggest UW football game of our lifetime, boys. Like to introduce both the fellas tonight. We got a hell of a preview for this upcoming Sugar Bowl against Texas. Sam, let's start with you tonight. What are you sipping on? And uh, how you doing, sir? I'm good. I'm good. I'm sipping on some Kirkland Signature blended Scotch whiskey, and I'm questioning and true. I'm questioning whether I'm a Texas fan or a Husky fan these days with how much uh, University of Texas Longhorn football I've been watching the last week, week and a half. That and your affinity for the hook'em horn slash rock on emoji. Yeah, that was probably you dropped in our. Oh our... yeah, that's unacceptable. Yikes. Yeah. I appreciate getting called out for that. That was a lack of self-awareness <laughs> for sure. It really was. <laughs> I, I saw it immediately. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Dislike that shit. <laughs> I didn't even, I, all of a sudden I'm getting thumbs down reactions yeah. and I'm like, wait, and you're like, what? what's going what on? What did I do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna, I, I send that at work all the time. So I'm going to have to cut that out for the rest of the, well, I guess I probably won't go. I'm not working the rest of this week. So that's good. Just cut it out of your emojis, at least for you, for the next few few days. Yeah. Justin, how about you? What are you sipping on? The greatest beverage known to man. Water. Got this oh. nice glass. You know, we started something special here uh, in Auburn, Washington, and I don't feel like we can deviate before a big game. We got to keep it tried and true and have this fine glass of water. I also don't have alcohol in my house, so there's that. But you That's drank your your last white claw last time we recorded a couple of days ago. Yeah, you know, I just got off the plane before coming back and ransacked the fridge, and it was in the back and family over and all sorts of things. So I haven't bought any more alcohol, so I'm gonna have to do that, I guess. I need to ship stuff to you like the day before we record. <laughs> I know we need to like drizzly stuff to his house. Yeah, yeah. Our podcast is sponsored by Drizzly, or at least we want it to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does Drizzly even exist Drizzly. anymore? Does that even exist anymore? I think so. Hmm. Sam will look that up. Connor, what yeah. you got going on? It does. Well, I'm still uh, kind of on the men, like kind of in the middle of a cold, but like, I don't know. So hot tea or water? Uh, vitamin R. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Nothing For better as, to put me as, back, back into into podcast mode than a little little vitamin r as prescribed by his primary care yep. physician yep 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 this is prescription um so we, one thing we didn't mention is the is the significance of uh this episode number justin kind of oh. called it out episode 91 it's fitting Could, isn't it it's fitting an ode to the 91 championship team we're we're going after one, our best shot since 91, episode 91 in our history. I mean, things are just, the stars are aligning, guys. 
It's like Team we're living Destiny. in a simulation or something. It's and more no... exciting than that. But yeah. <laughs> and no, we didn't plan that, like going into the season or anything that a potential bowl episode would be 91. No, no we that wasn't a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish we we thought that far ahead. I wish we were we were chess players over here at, at Emerald City fan of what we're definitely checkers players. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Cool guys. Well, let's set the stage. Let's set the stage for this matchup. Massive matchup against a heavyweight in Texas. Very historical program. January first, not the Rose Bowl though, the Sugar Bowl. Kickoff at five forty five, five forty ish. Uh, Pacific Standard Time, number two UW against number three Texas. Let's fucking go, guys. Let's fucking go. We are in the CFP, one game away from a possible na- national championship and a trip to Houston. It is right there. It is right there. And unlike 2016, this team has a very, very good chance of winning this game. A very, very good chance. You won't hear it from the experts. You won't hear from the experts. Except Joel Klatt. Except Joel Klatt. And then I'm in, in quotation marks ex- experts because most of them are very East Coast biased. But for sure, if if this team plays like it did against Oregon, they have a very good shot in this game. Um, as far as the uniforms, because everyone's always curious about the uniforms, looks like we're going uh, gold helmet, purple tops, and purple bottoms. So same outfit that we wore for the Oregon game, both or uh, all, all three, all Oregon three, games, all three yeah, the last yeah. two years. So it's been it's been a, a uniform that has treated the Huskies well in recent memory. Um, well on their way to a 13 and 0, 13 and 0 year and number two ranking in the in the final CFP poll. I was going to just pause us there for a second, because as you let us into the game, number two, Washington, that's something I don't feel like. We've talked about that enough on this podcast. Yeah. Like, when was the last time UW was ranked number two? Like, like I remember as a kid growing up in the late '90s, early 2000s, and I know we were up there in the top five. Especially 2001, we must have been three, maybe, or maybe number two at some point. I don't really recall. But the thing that I remember is being like a ten-year-old kid watching college football and seeing on the TV Washington Huskies with a number two in front of them being like, Oh my gosh, we are so, my team is so good. Like I just love, we are so back. We are so back. And I love the fact that this next generation of Husky fans, like Mm. the 10 year olds out there are going to turn on their TV and it's going to be number two, Washington versus number three, Texas. Like that is a moment. I mean, I'm trying to like pull that inner kid out of me for this game because I think we've just been through so much shit in our fandom as a Husky fan that like I'm trying to pull out the that inner kid and like put myself in the shoes of somebody who's 10, 8, 12 years old, like try, just becoming a Husky fan. It's like, oh my gosh, how cool is it that we're number two? I don't think we've yeah. talked about that or appreciated the fact that we're the second ranked team in the country. Like totally. it's been a long time. It's a good call out. Uh, you were saying about how we're so back and it's so true because of the narrative is like, Texas is back. Sark has brought <laughs> Texas back. And you know, that could be, that can be true as well, but UW sure. was a powerhouse guys. 
Yeah. A national powerhouse that's been dormant. I mean, Peterson, Sark took us out of the absolute basement. Peterson brought us back to national relevance. And now UW is back to where we belong. Yeah. Like I would say Sark brought us back to like. Where we weren't dead anymore. Winning more games than we're Respectable. Yeah. Like seven and five, whatever. Peterson got us back to year in, year out, perennial top 25. Mm Mm-hmm. We are operating under DeBoer as a perennial top five, top 10 team. Top 10. Yep. Top 10 team. Like what? There's not much else you can ask for as a college in two years. (laughs) This has happened in two years. (laughs) So I mean, let's just like really happened in year one. But yeah. Yeah. Like I'm excited to break down this game. I'm excited to watch it with you guys. But the only like the main theme throughout like let's just not lose sight of the fact that we got to enjoy the moment. I know Connor, you've been pushing that and I appreciate the constant reminders because this is a, such a special season, no matter how this game goes, like just got to enjoy it while we can. Well, and that's just human nature, right? We just are, we're always looking at the next thing. Yeah. You know, we're anticipating the next thing and we're looking forward and we're looking forward, but like it's times like this, this is what it's all about. You know, being, being a college football fan, your teams in the CFP has a really good shot or a legit, at least a legitimate ch- chance to win the oh, whole yeah. thing. And it can I mean, be gone in, in, in an instant. And we don't know what's going to happen next year. I mean, it, it's it's going to be a completely different roster. There's going to be so much turnover on this team. Is and that's going to be for a later episode. Coach? Is DeBoer even going to be our coach? Who knows? For another shut episode. Up, for another <laughs> episode. Not, not for up. this one. <laughs> shut, shut your mouth. You shut your mouth. I'm um, just kidding. I think he'll be back. But yes, I'm pr- I'm pretty confident in that happening. Um, but this is special, man. This is really, really special. And this is this this is not guaranteed again, you know, in our lifetime, basically. But um, I mean, I think I think we're going to be a good competitive team, and you know, a a perennial top 10, 15 team for many years yeah. if DeBoer stays. Um, but it, it, this is, I mean, this is on a different level and the talent base that's on this team that's going to be leaving this team. Justin, I'd have a question for you because I know you didn't grow up quite as big of a Husky fan probably as as Sam and I like in, in your younger years and stuff like that. But, you know, just like looking back on your childhood and looking at, this game compared to any of the other like big games that you anticipated growing up, you know, where, where, whether it be like Mariners in the ALCS against the Yankees, you know, uh, the UW Rose bowl, the Seahawks in the super bowl in 2005, the Seahawks in the super bowl in 2014, the Seahawks in the super bowl in 2015. Um, you know, all those, all those memories of, of big sports moments in your lifetime. There's probably others as well. Sonics and stuff like that too. I don't know if you were a big Sonics fan growing up. Sounders, um, Sounders for sure. Yeah, like the it, obviously, t- duh. Uh, you know the Concacaf Champions League final win and stuff like that. Well, like, where does this rank? Where where does this rank as far as like anticipation going into a game? That's a really good question. Why didn't you and you're me? in it right now, so you might be a little bit biased towards the moment, but right. it's big. It's big. There's no doubt about that. Sam, we know your answer. Uh... (laughs) It's like, why didn't you ask me, Connor? (laughs) Honestly, as much hype as I have for it and like 
how much I th- how much of my day I think about this game, which is embarrassingly a high percentage, because it shouldn't affect sports, shouldn't affect regular life this much, <laughs> but it does. Probably yeah. say third most anticipated sports event behind behind, behind the two thousand five six whatever you want to call it Super Bowl against the Steelers the Seahawks the first one, the, first one yeah. the Seahawks had ever been to big deal as yeah. you guys both know I'm the big Seahawks are my favorite team for any sport mm-hmm. um and the two thousand and 13 Super Bowl against the Broncos, I would say, were yeah. the be the two that I've was more hyped for. And then this above the 2014 Super Bowl against the Patriots. So I yep. mean, is it and this isn't even for a title yet. That's how I mean. Yeah, right. I mean, if we win, game, I mean <laughs> so that, all bets that, are that, off. Right. So I mean, put that in perspective, but it, it's a big freaking deal, guys. It's a big yeah. freaking deal. I mean, to be three, I follow European soccer, all the things. Like for this to be that high is sure. it, it's massive. Yeah. What about you, Connor? I mean, everybody knows this is the like my number one for sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then I would just, I guess maybe I'll just round out my answer. My two and three would be Justin's one and two. Like Seahawks. The two Super Bowls. Bowls. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I think it's probably two. It's probably two to the Super Bowl in 2005. Yeah. <laughs> or after the, I should say it's because it, I, sorry, I said 14 and 15 because that's technically when the Super Bowl right, was. Yeah. But like after the season. Yeah. yeah. So, but yes, after the 2005 season, that, that Super Bowl. Um, again, like Justin said, just because it was the first one in franchise history. Were we favored in that game? I think we were favored going in technically. I don't remember. I can't remember. I yeah. also think 2005 was, was like a sweet spot in our age too. We're like, oh, totally. we weren't just like kind of innocent young viewers. Like we understood the culmination of a, the full season leading up to that. Like that was a, like that sweet spot in your like journey as a fan for our generation with the Seahawks, where it was like a major catalyst event for Seattle sports. Yeah. Yeah, well, and then the the UW Alabama game's not up there. Our last time we we're in the semifinal, UW was like fourteen point underdogs. Yeah, it would have been a huge upset, that sort of thing. I don't even think we should be underdogs in this game, truly. So we're, yeah. I think we're last I saw was four, four and a half, depending on the sports book. So yeah, to me that's take this into crazy. context. What was your feeling, like relative after Pettis scores the touchdown against Alabama, though? <laughs> Oh, elation. Oh my god, well, these <laughs> fucking clowns suck. We're gonna go out, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I was pumped, but I still I was I You were reserved, really? Yeah. Hey, you I know mean, what? Our yeah. defense was the real I should have been. I mean, I know the I think Jalen Hurts completed like seven passes or something against UW in that game, but yeah. Both Scarborough got away for a couple, obviously the big Yeah, one. and yeah. they got seven points on that giveaway Dumbass. touchdown so like our defense held them in check for the large 17 I mean, points really yeah yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well yeah you take away the 90 yard run by scarborough it's 10 yeah that defense was good anyways was good. anyway this, this is a year. big game this is a very big game and okay. i am i'm starting to lose some sleep already <laughs> <laughs> justin you talked about how much uh how much this has been forefront of your mind over mm-hmm. the past you know, three weeks, three, four weeks now. 
since the since the game against Oregon. Let's uh, recap Texas's season here. Yeah, and just give the listeners a little bit of a preview of kind of like what we're what we're walking into as UW fans um, when we when we face them in the Sugar Bowl on Monday. Yeah, so Texas last year in the Big Twelve, like us last year in the Pac twelve, they're moving to the SEC. So had a non-conference schedule against Rice, Alabama, and Wyoming. So took care of Rice pretty easily. They go to Tuscaloosa and beat down Alabama. And why it was so surprising at the time is because they won at the line of scrimmage, something we'll get into in a little bit later. It wasn't just this fluky Big 12 high-flying offense. They they won big boy football, as Booger McFarland likes to say, at the offensive and defensive lines of scrimmage. So Good win for them. Wyoming 31 to 10. That was a little generous because they struggled in that game. I think it was 10, 10, like late in the third or the early fourth. Um, So can't remember the exact score. Dominated Baylor pulled away late at Kansas or versus Kansas, Oklahoma at Dallas state fair, the Texas state fair in Dallas, the cotton bowl, Oklahoma took Texas down 34 to 30. So Texas has one L on the season, something you wouldn't ever see out of UW in 2023. But no, sir. Texas took an L probably to the most up-tempo offense they played all season. So we'll get into all that, but took an L responded uh, against Houston in a back and forth game after having a 21 to zero lead. They choked it away and won late at Houston Destroyed the Mormons, Kansas State uh, with the backup quarterback, uh, or sorry, Kansas State with Texas having the backup quarterback and Malik Murphy, who is now transferred out and won't be available for selection in the Sugar Bowl. But they barely squeaked by Kansas State. Kansas State went for it on third and fourth and goal to try and win the game. And the point, just to double down on that, the reason Malik Murphy, Texas's backup, was in because their starter, who we will see on Monday, Quinn Ewers, was out for, I think he missed two games. with Two full games, yeah. Two full mm-hmm. games with an injury to his throwing shoulder. So Correct. definitely a storyline to keep in mind come Monday. Yes, good call out, Sam. Uh, at TCU, barely won 29-26 in a squeaker. TCU coming on strong late. I know Ewers put up some numbers here. Like you could definitely see him trying to come back and a little rusty, trying to work out the kinks with the throwing shoulder. Uh, similar at Iowa State, one by 10, but then blew out their final two opponents, by, which is why you see a lot of national pundits saying that Texas is coming into form. Blew out Texas Tech 57-7, to seven, the same Texas Tech team that gave Oregon trouble earlier in the season. And... Destroyed Oklahoma State in the champion, the Big 12 championship game, 49 to 21. But Oklahoma State, a little bit of a Mickey Mouse team, because I think after beating Oklahoma, they lost like 49 to 3 against UCF or something like that. So, yeah, not very challenged, but also blew out two opponents. So that's Texas's season. You don't see a lot of great teams on there outside of their Alabama win. And then the Oklahoma, I would say, is a very good team but the Oklahoma loss. So not as many tests as UW, but also some good performances as well. Sam, any follow-ups there? No, I think, I think you capped it off pretty strong. I think you covered most of it. Cool. Well, let's start to get into some of these matchups then guys. Let's, let's peel back the layers of the onion here. Let's start with, with strength on strength. UW offense versus the Texas defense. 
Sam, let's start with you. What's your what's your number one matchup that you're looking at when it comes to the UW offense versus the Texas defense? And what are you hoping that the offense is able to exploit, possibly? Yeah, so I think this is getting all of the hype and all the attention from the media. This is like what everybody's talking about is when you think about Texas right now, you're thinking about their interior defensive line. Tavondre Sweat, Byron Murphy, pretty much the whole front seven, but really those two in particular. Tavondre Sweat won, what's it, the Outland Trophy? That I forget, it's Outland, I believe. Is the uh, I can look it up awarded to the best interior defensive lineman in the country. So we've got our hands full. I mean, he, think Vita Vea, like 6'5, 360, bigger than Vita Vea, to be honest. And he can move really well. So that interior defensive line, and then they're going up against the Joe Moore award winning best offensive line in the country, being the Huskies offensive line. Who wins that matchup? Good on good. This is the only matchup as we go through UW offense versus Texas defense, Texas offense versus UW defense. Like this is the only matchup on both sides of the rosters where it's strength versus strength. Like their interior defensive line versus our offensive line is like the strength of our team to a certain degree. And certainly the strength of their team being their defensive line. And so kind of break that down a little bit more in terms of what I'm looking for is one is how do we, the, the key is, do we keep Penix clean? We've been able to do that all year against every team that we've played. Oregon has a good front seven as well. We were able, we were able to handle that, but Texas I think is a, is a step above that. And so can we see solid pass protection and the follow-up question to that is probably the bigger question. Their run defense is best, what, second best in the country behind Georgia right now. Can you know, we've seen the Huskies run game start to come on strong at the end of the season. So it's like, how is that offensive line able to move the line of scrimmage, if at all? And so I think that's gonna be the key matchup here is like in the trenches, who wins? And I think that'll dictate who comes out on top in a pretty significant way. So I know that, I mean, it, it just kind of comes with the territory when you pick the, the trenches as being like a key matchup and tangentially impacts the pass game and the running game. So I kind of touched on a couple of other key points here, but curious to get your thoughts, Justin, on UW offense versus Texas defense. 100%. I agree with everything you said, but I'd love to dig into UW's wide receiving core. Big talk heading into this game. Both teams, wide receivers. Which wide receiver core is better? And that's a funny conversation. Neither here nor there. Texas has the 94th ranked pass defense in the country. Let me say that again. 94th. That's not good. U- UW's passing offense is a little better than 94th. That's all I'll say. Yeah. And so uh, it's not strength on strength, as you were just alluding to. So how can UW find open pockets and get away from their corners who are left on an island a lot of times, uh, given Pete K's defensive schemes? So I think we can exploit that. Ryan Grubb, Kalen DeBoer are genius play callers. They're going to scheme guys open against any defense as long as Penix has more than two and a half seconds time, uh, seconds to throw. 
Texas pasty, I will say, is a little better watching on tape than 94th, just given they go up against, like, they've gone up on huge leads, and then they're yeah. just playing some prevent or playing some stupid island defense when they should be playing some zone and all sorts of things, and they give up some late touchdowns and late passing yards because teams can't run on them, but the yards are there. And we have Odunze with 16 contested catches this year <laughs> and the highest burn rate. I mean, there's this scatter plot we've all looked at off air. It's just, it's not close, right? Yeah. Rome Jaylen, is in his own galaxy. His own, on yeah, one his of own. Jalen McMillan, now that he's healthy. Yes. Texas pundits. He exists. What do you go? Nine for 131 against Oregon or something. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Something like yep. that. Yeah. He's a problem for you because he's in the slot. He's going to be in the middle of the field. Good luck. Their slot corner is not good. I was going to say, good luck covering him in the the middle of the field. He's pretty shifty. They leave him one on one sometimes, too. And it's that's not a good game plan against Jalen McMillan. Promise you haven't seen three wide receivers like this. So, yeah, problem. And then Jalen Polk. Oh, yeah. He went and had not a good Penix throw in that Pac-12 championship. Went and snagged that from the Oregon defender. Yeah. You know, that's stuff he can do, too. So. Problem in a pressure situation, game winning drive. Right. Yeah. Problems abound. Oh, yeah. Our tight end. I know Jatavian Sanders gets all, you know, rightfully so. He's a huge athlete, really good player. Jack Westover's made a couple of uh CYA catches for Penix this year. Oh, yeah. Like four Mm -hmm. or something. So problems that I don't think Texas can. I I just I don't want to give too much away for later. I (laughs) I I I they can't cover everyone unless Malik Murphy and Sweat bo- bulldoze Byron Murphy. I got sorry, I had Murphy. Easy yeah. mistake. I, yeah. I I was about to do it too. So. <laughs> yeah. Byron Murphy and Sweat just bulldoze our interior offensive line. To your point, Sam, every single play. If they do that, yeah, we're screwed. But if they yeah. don't, it's a problem for them. Yeah, I don't see that happening. To I, be honest, I like. Here's kind of going back, like bringing that circling back to my point about good versus strength versus strength, good on good, their interior D line versus our offensive line. I think the run game is, is as going into the game as a Husky fan, like any little blip of momentum we get in the running game, you take it. Like they are really stout against the run, but to Justin's point, this Husky passing attack, like, this is not a pass rush that I think is going to be super problematic. And I, I know, you know, Tavondre Sweat, Byron Murphy, they're two interior pass rushers. But when you really break things down, yes, those are two really good individual defensive linemen. But when you break things down in pass protection, I think our tackles will handle their edge rushers no problem with Roger Rosengarten, Troy Faltano. What that allows you to do is then you have our three interior linemen plus Dylan Johnson, who's arguably the best pass blocking running back in college football. You got four on two. Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy are going to make their place. They're going to push the pocket. But to Justin's point, that is not going to happen every single play. Majority of the time, I will take our four pass blockers being Nate Kalepo, Julius Bulow, Parker Brailsford, interior offensive line, plus Dylan Johnson chipping. I just I just don't see them pressuring Penix with regularity in this game. I just don't see it. 
I've heard the Texas radio hosts say that Arizona State game, UW got pushed around. That's an example of how they can be exposed in the interior offensive line, blah, 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 right? A little bit injured in that game, too, on the interior offensive line. That didn't help. Plus, Penix was sick as a dog. But yeah. we, we forget we forget that, too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Not the case. Bulow was out, so we had Landon Hatchet. We had Hatchet there. in there. Yep. Yeah. It wasn't so, good. Like, well, I mean, we'll admit that, though. It wasn't good. It wasn't and, like, good. for sure, other teams exploited that down the stretch as well. So we have to be attuned to, like, those A-gap blitzes because that's been our Achilles heel. Yep. For the second half of the year. But I think we found a little bit of a, a cure to that in the Oregon game. And his name is Jalen McMillan. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I I think we're gonna be okay so long as we're we're healthy. You know, I'll knock on wood now. But um one other matchup I'll mention. Sorry if I cut you I'm off, good. Connor. November in the Pacific Northwest, Oregon State. Stormy. It's cold. Downpour. Downpours. Oregon. Even Los the Arizona State game was raining. Yeah, month. you that were there. October, you were yeah. there. You know, yeah. Yeah, I was soaked. Oregon in Las Vegas. Dome. What happens? Up and down the field. New Orleans. January 1st. What's the forecast? It doesn't fucking matter. Dome. Super dome. Super dome. <laughs> yeah, super dome. <laughs> Unless there's a hurricane too soon, I'm sorry, but well, that's just oh Debbie down. There. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> come back from that. I might uh, cut that one out of the podcast. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, unless a natural disaster hits, we're in the Superdome. Hopefully, the turf is not split in the middle where Dylan Johnson hits a turf monster Ugh. because without that like it might have blown wide open in that Oregon game so yeah all that to say Penix ideal conditions for spinning it that's all oh yeah totally yeah let's switch over to the other side of the ball this is a little bit different now Texas offense versus the UW defense Sam turn to you again how are you feeling about this this matchup against this Texas offense for for our defense that's been very up and down all year? Again, a, a defense that seems to make the plays when they need to, but statistically not a great make, matchup on paper, I would say. Yeah, I'd say this is this is one that I've gone I've convinced myself to like this is going to play out one way and then I think about it and I convince myself that it's going to play out another way. So it's a tough one for me. I'm probably going to take a little bit of a cop out here and just say tackling for this Husky defense is going to be so every game, (laughs) but it is. And like, it's been a problem for this team. And obviously in that championship game against Oregon was one of the best tackling games we've had. But the reason why I call that out is, and the reason why it sounds like a broken record is there's a lot of similarities between this Texas offense and the Oregon offense that we've become so familiar playing against. This is a team that has great athletes at the skill position and yours is just distributing the ball, you know, at the line of scrimmage to Xavier Worthy, Adonai Mitchell, Jordan Whittington, 
you know, their running backs that, I mean, that's another big thing that we didn't mention off the top in terms of recapping Texas's season, but arguably the best player on their team. I mean, Tavondre Sweat, there's an argument, but Jonathan Brooks, their starting running back, what he's a monster. He tore his ACL in the TCU game, I believe. So he'll be out and they'll be starting their true freshman, CJ Baxter, who's a great talent in his own right. And that's the the other thing that we haven't really touched on with Texas that kind of goes through all these different matchups is Texas's team is stacked with talent. This is arguably the most talented roster in college football. They are mm-hmm. five stars all over the place everywhere. But there there does come something with experience and they're going to be rolling out some inexperienced running backs. But getting back to my point, you watch this Texas team in all of these games and some of these big plays, or you even mentioned it, Justin, when you said Ewers had like a good statistic passing day against TCU. Well, he got an 80 yard touchdown on a running back screen to Jonathan Brooks. And that's right. just, that's kind of the way that Oregon's team is like, get the ball to the playmakers let them make plays in space. And so our defensive backs, our linebackers being able to wrap up and get these guys on the ground where they catch it, two yards, three yards, four yards from the line of scrimmage is going to be paramount. I think if you look at the holistic portfolio this team has put on paper tackling-wise, it's been iffy this year for us. But it seems like we've been clicking a little bit more. Um as the season's gone on. So that's going to be a key thing that I'm looking at. It's just like, are we able to keep it, keep people in front of us and make the tackle at the critical point? The other thing here, just teeing it up for you, Justin, is like we talk about UW receivers versus the 94th ranked Texas pass D. We just spin that around on the other side of the ball. And that's another big matchup where if I'm a Texas Longhorn fan, I'm probably licking my chops. Absolutely. I mean, you've seen Bo Nix in losses put third in the thirties on us, right? You've yeah. seen Utah in the first half score 28 against us, right? Yeah. You can point to numerous examples. Stanford. Also. Stanford. Can't even they, remember the fucker's name now, but yeah. Daniel, Ashton Daniels. Looked like the next great NFL player against us <laughs> for a long, long time in that game. Yeah, it, evident. And I think there's matchup problems that I'm nervous about all over the field uh, on offense for Texas versus UW's defense. Jatavian Sanders is someone we haven't mentioned a lot. I know someone that I'm probably a little higher on than you, Sam. But it's a matchup problem for our linebackers. I mean, you see uh, Ferguson for Oregon yep. get loose from Dom Hampton uh, for the touchdown. Uh, you see, yeah, Ferguson, by the way, miraculous comeback from injury. I'll just keep saying that. I know. Um, I thought it was rest in peace there for a minute with that guy. I'm waiting for his his next injury against uh, the mighty Liberty Flames in, in the Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> The, you oh, know, the, the precursor appetizer to, to, the, to Rose the Rose Bowl, Bowl right? Yeah, Sugar yeah. Bowl. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, I could talk about that. But anyway, uh, Jatavian Sanders, he's a problem, guys. He's a matchup problem. And if we're so focused on the receivers, he could be open for 10-yard gains left and right. So mm-hmm. our linebackers better bring it or whoever is assigned to cover him because that's going to be 
a huge matchup problem for us. Camp out. Yeah. I don't love that, uh, yeah, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> yeah. He played a hell of a game in the championship. But, uh, yeah, Sanders is an athlete that we don't have on defense or offense. And, and I don't think but, that we've really seen either this season. No. The one thing that I will say, and I know you alluded to the fact that like you're higher on him than us, like from a passing threat perspective, I'm right there with you. He is not great in the run blocking game. That's fair. And so, you know, I think in terms of being a tight end that I would want on my team, I think there's some pros and cons there, but the other thing to call out here is the Texas offense. I mean, I think we should probably dive into the wide receivers a little bit more, but just another tidbit before we do that is a struggle that they've had for two years. Dating back to last year, this year they haven't got much better. Their offensive third down conversion rate is 38%. That's ranked 80th in the country. The Huskies defense statistically kind of falls in the same ballpark i think we're around 38 40 percent allowing conversion so on paper it looks like that's kind of an even wash but to connor's earlier point this defense seems to come up with that third down stop at key opportune moments and so that's something to keep an eye on here as we get closer to this monday matchup that you know look at the way we started the championship game against oregon if we can get to off to a quick start I mean, they Oregon ran six plays in the first quarter, two, three and outs. If we are able to replicate that success on defense on third down early in the game, oh, watch out. Like, that's going to be a big deal. If we can take advantage of, you know, on paper, a Texas weakness of only converting 38% of your third downs, that could, depending on when those, like, show up timing-wise with momentum in the game, that, that could be key. Um, right. But I know you alluded to it. I, I don't know, Connor, if you want to jump into this, Justin alluded to it, the Texas wide receivers. I mean, there is a lot of talk about, you know, which trio of wide receivers are, are, <laughs> are better. I think we all know the answer to that, but it's not just to, it's not to discredit these Texas wide receivers. They're an explosive bunch that pose their problems to any secondary out there. So maybe just talk a little bit more about the individual players that people should know a little bit more about before they see a lot of their numbers on the, on for the sure yeah screen. yeah 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 uh i mean yeah they're they're for sure a, a good trio they're they're a really good trio um and you know probably i'd say probably like the third best trio that we've set, spaced all year second or third maybe i mean what you have arizona as one arizona and oregon probably I don't know who the third person would be with Ed Arizona. Oregon. Oh, for Arizona? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they... I don't know. I mean... I, their top two are, are really good, though. Like yeah, I, I, I mean, I'd, I get, I'd take their top two guys over Texas's top two guys. And I'd probably agree with that for Oregon as well. Yeah. For yeah. two. Yeah. So... I mean, how, how valuable is the third... For, for, Texas, for Texas, for Texas, pretty, pretty for Texas valuable. is pretty yeah, valuable. Yeah. So let's start there. Let's start there. That's Jordan Whittington. Um, talented player, really key on their third downs. Mm -hmm. They're not really great on third down, but if they're converting third downs in the past game, they're, you know, nine times out of 10 targeting him. 
Um, and he seems to come up with some big plays. Um, he's also a, a key blocker in the run game. Um, and the really good in that game. aspect. Yeah, and the screen, screen game as well, which they, as we know, watching a Sark team and, you know, Sark being our, our former play caller back in the day, um, that he loves the screen game. They get the ball out fast. Um, and usually who they're getting it to, though, is their number one, Xavier Worthy, who is explosive, explosive. Um, he's a he's a yak monster, and he's also a guy that can beat you deep. Um, so a lot of times they, they will either get the ga ball out quickly to him, the play is completely designed for him to get him in space, make a couple guys miss and just get him, get his speed and his elusiveness on, on showcase, or he's trying to beat the safety deep. And, you know, some, he, he did that last year against us and dropped the ball. Oops, that's, that's the one, that's the one weakness that he may have. And he and seems to be better at it this year. He's very little, um, but, but he does, he's small for sure. Yeah. He's definitely small, but I mean, I, I, I don't account for that quite as much these days. I feel like the, the way that, football in general is trending like little guys can get it done at those skill positions totally totally for um, me with xavier worthy it's more about the durability aspect and i think sure and he's not going to go over the middle like for anything like his, his his usage is either outside the numbers a lot of times in a screen he doesn't even run many slants or it's like a go yeah right so that's i mean that's kind of his game so so long as you had talked about tackling. My key to the game is like honestly, like eye discipline, mm. and because there's a lot of eye candy in this mm -hmm. offense that Sark throws out there, a lot of misdirection, a lot of pre-snap motion, a lot of things that you see in the the UW offense now. Um, but it's a lot of stuff closer to the line of scrimmage. And the thing about Sark is he'll go back to a a play that works again and again and again, over and over until you stop it. Um, and that's that's a famous Sark you know, sarcasm as, as they might say. Um, so if, if, if they're, if they're feeding worthy and it's working, they're going to go right back to him. And we saw, I saw that on two or three drives in that Alabama game where he's ripping off 10 yards of completion and they just keep going to him on maybe not the ex exact same play, but basically like the same play, but in either direction, um, like a lot of swing passes and a lot of, a lot of stuff where he's kind of like on the move pre-snap. Yeah, um, jumping in on jumping in on yeah, Xavier Worthy just to finish my point on him being smaller and durability issues is key in this game because he suffered a pretty significant ankle sprain in their Big Twelve Championship game. So seeing how he's moving in pregame warmups, how he's moving in the early parts of this game, like as you mentioned, Connor, his game is being explosive and being a burner, and if he's not at a hundred percent with that ankle. That's a huge, huge development for this game. And so that's really? just something to keep an eye on as soon as the game starts. Is like, does he have 100% quicks with him or not? And so, again, yes. I mean, kind of alluding to it a little bit, but like health of these two teams are trending in a little bit different ways with the previously mentioned stud running back Jonathan Brooks being out for the game with an ACL, Xavier Worthy coming off of a high ankle sprain, like, these are things that definitely bode in Washington's direction. Needless to say, teeing you up for their number two guy, who's like somehow 
you know, can be sneaky that people forget about. He's like, he's, he reminds me of T Higgins. I'll just put it that way. That's a good call out. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Adonai Mitchell, um, bigger guy, you know, good, good, good size on him. Uh, transfer from Georgia, I think originally. Mm -hmm. Um, and a guy that, you know, gets his own as well. Like, and they definitely the second option in this passing offense, um, they don't do a ton of screen game with him. He's kind of their full route tree guy, though. Like he does a lot of the slants, a lot of the seam routes, a lot of the posts and stuff a little bit more intermediate. Um, so he's he's a really good option for them, though, too. Um, and someone definitely that this this defense is going to have to to key in on. I don't love the matchup of him against either of our second corners. I'm okay with Muhammad against against Worthy. Um, I think that each each player will make plays in that matchup, but I don't love Elijah Jackson or Thaddeus Dixon against uh against um I don't know Mitchell. But I will say if Dixon's able to show what he did in that game against Oregon in the Pac twelve championship, his size definitely matches up better against Adonai Mitchell that that's going to be something that I'm I'm interested to see kind of how they scheme that up and who they match up against particularly Adonai Mitchell in this in this game. My guess is if you're Sarkeesian, Connor, like are you looking at trying to I mean, I think we all believe Jabbar Muhammad is a great cover corner. Mm-hmm. But yeah. we talk about Xavier Worthy being tiny, Jabbar Muhammad Yeah. Maybe they'll probably is, do that half an inch taller than him at my yep. Mitchell six, four, six, five. Like yeah, I imagine Sark's going to be trying to get that matchup all day. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, he'll do that. He'll like, he's really good at setting up the offense to get the matchups that he wants. Cause he puts guys in motion pre-snap. Um, and we're not a team that typically plays a lot of, you know, follow a guy around. So he'll, he'll scheme that for sure. Um, I still like, I mean, I think both I, I, similar. I just, I just in a different way. I think both guys would make plays, yeah, in in that matchup. I think Muhammad plays bigger than he is. I agree. So, it, and that, it'd and be, that height it, advantage, yeah, that height advantage is only as good as the accuracy of the pass. Sure. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, Ewers is a seventy percent thrower. Like, I mean, he's he's accurate because he's throwing a lot of balls at yeah. at the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Um. But was he he's also percent last year, I think something like that. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you see the throws that he can make though. He can, he can make all the throws. It's just, can he do it consistently? For sure. So Justin, let's turn this to you. Anything else that you want to highlight on, on this matchup before we move on to kind of some other, other key matchups. The only thing I'm going to mention is the UW depth chart came out and the safeties didn't list Asa Turner anywhere. And that scares the shit out of me. I want it to be smoke and mirrors because if <laughs> well, who it's did not, it list at safety? <laughs> if it's not smoke and mirrors, Connor, then it's Mikel Esteen out there. Oh my god! And oh my god. that him having over the top responsibility for Xavier Worthy, terrifying, might change my prediction for this game. Yeah. So oh, shit. Yeah, that would be a problem. So it might come down to that. Honestly, isn't that crazy? So that's what I that's the only thing I'd mention. A safety depth for UW. As long as we have our first choice or first one point 
A minus squad out there, I feel a lot better than BC squad. Yeah. And I think totally. the importance there is like, I think that there's maybe some reasons to be optimistic about the player that esteem could potentially be from like a physical ability perspective. He's just been such a liability in playing assignment sound football. Like, and against he, this offense that has so much freaking misdirection before the play, yeah, yeah, that would Oof-da. be bad. Whereas, like, like matchup nightmare, yeah. And we all saw that as soon as, I mean, as soon as you got Asa and Cam Fab in there, it just seemed like the defensive backfield totally. was like clicking on another level of speed communication. Everybody knew where they're. It was just like, ah, oh, it felt such so a difference. Good. Which even Herbstreit called out on the broadcast. He's like, oh, yeah, totally. Oh, so he called it out over and over again. He's just <laughs> yeah. like, I can't say enough about the difference that Asa Turner and Cam Cameron Fabiculanen yeah. make for this this defense. So I'm hoping that we see a lot of uh, number 13 and number 20, right? Is he 20 yeah. now? Asa? Yeah. Yep. I think maybe just adding one more. I know that this is, I kind of keep pulling on the same thread with Texas, like being down some key players, but this is more UW offense versus Texas defense. So we talk about our concerns on our safety depth. Same thing can be said for them. We didn't mention this earlier. They're starting safety for the majority of the season, entered the transfer portal. He got injured and banged up towards the end of the season. So he's gone. Catalan is gone. And then the kid, the true freshman, Derek Williams Jr., that's really stepped up late. He's going to be missing the first half of this game due to a targeting penalty. So, I mean, same thing can be said on that end of the field for them. Like, safety depth in this game on both sides of the ball is going to be key. Like, which offense can expose that potential weakness of the opposing defense, I think, will be a good matchup to watch on both sides of the ball. For sure. So let's talk about some of these other kind of just keys to the game as far as matchups go. A couple things that we look at a lot of times when we talk about this UW team and just previewing football games in general. First thing is penalties, right? Hmm. How disciplined can each team be? Neither of these teams are super disciplined. They they both make some boneheaded penalties. They're both pretty penalty prone. Um, and... UW definitely is worse <laughs> than Texas, uh, and in particular that you know middle to second half of the year, where we really struggled with a lot of like you know late, late hit penalties and just like stupid personal foul penalties that we got away from though in the Pac-12 championship, and we played relatively clean. If we can replicate that, I have a good feeling about us winning this you know penalty battle, but. You know, penalties is going to be something to watch in this game, and it can definitely make or break a game. And it almost did for UW a couple times this year. Any other follow ups that you guys have on that? On, on that, Sam? Uh, no, I think the only thing I'd mention is, you know, as a memory of Sark's time here, that was that's something that he's carried with him everywhere he's gone. His teams are totally a little bit undisciplined. You're going to see false starts. You're going to see, like, I feel like our penalties are really more the type of penalty where our guys are trying to flirt with the line of what's part of the play or after the play type stuff. Texas's penalties are like pre-snap mental farts. Like, sure. So that's Sark's had penalty problems everywhere he's been as a head coach. So I would expect that to continue. I feel like 
Washington's gotten a little bit cleaner down the stretch, particularly in the championship game. Mostly just in the championship game. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> there were some pretty dumb ones in the Apple Cup too. Yeah, that's true. So, so. we'll see. I mean, we just, uh, if these guys, these guys have been so focused, you know, on, on getting to a championship. And like, this has been their mindset all year that I just hope that a thing like penalties doesn't get in our way of our, of our ultimate goal here. Yeah. So I don't want the refs, the pinstripes to be, to be impacting this game whatsoever. Yeah. I guess now I that I think, I hope they relatively let guys play, you know, a little bit. So I'm okay with a little bit of physicality, but it can't be, you know, obviously completely over the top. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say with the penalties and and the matchups that we've kind of zeroed in on with both teams, wide receivers versus DBs. Like, how are they calling pass interference early in the game? Right. Are they consistent right. on both sides? Like, it'll just be interesting to see how physical they, they let them play. And if they let them play their physical... Are, their corners are pretty handsy. Yeah, and if they let them play like... physical, though, like we talk about that plot chart that Justin sent us like a million times. <laughs> We got some guys that can make contested catches. Totally. They, totally. I mean, Mitchell can. Yeah. Worthy, yep. not so much. Yeah. I mean, he's made one. Come on. Give him a little <laughs> credit. Just one. <laughs> uh, the, other, the other aspect of the games that we talk about consistently on these episodes is turnovers. And Sam, I know that you were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. And you want to highlight kind of what your overall thinking and approach is when you're talking about turnovers going into this game. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty simple. Like, we look at turnover margin. How many turnovers does your defense create versus how many times does your offense give the ball away? And in aggregate throughout the whole season, Texas is plus seven, meaning they've created seven more turnovers than they've given up, while Washington has really just stayed pretty consistently at even we end the season at plus one. And so basically what that would indicate on paper is that the turnover margin could favor Texas. And we all know turnover margin is a key indicator for the outcome of the game. And so hopefully we can buck that trend. I would say on UW side, my general thought here is like I, offensively outside of a, a minor stretch there, we've taken care of the ball fairly well. To me, this is more damning on the defense not taking the ball away more than anything. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like classic cliche football speak. is like, take care of the ball on offense. Try to get it back on defense. The only thing that I don't think is figured into the turnover margin is like all the fourth down stops that our defense has come up with, which are like basically a turnover, but I don't think they get counted sure. in this margin formula. Yeah, so that would throw a bone UW's direction for sure this year, but this <clears throat> it's going to be a key thing to watch. I mean, ball security creeped up on us in a couple of those games down the stretch. Mm -hmm. It seems like we've mm -hmm. kind of figured that out. It hasn't been as big of an issue, but it also goes back to the first key matchup we talked about their D line versus our offensive line. Like when Penix throws interceptions, it's when the pocket is being pushed into his lap and he's under pressure and yep. ball sails on him. We saw it happen in the Oregon game. So it'll just be a key thing to keep an eye on for sure is, you know, I think if you're UW, if the turnover margin is even between the two teams at the end of the game, I think you feel pretty good about that. 
Yeah, I know you talked about Sam going a little bit off base here when we were talking about the UW offense against the Texas defense not being super concerned about their pass rush. And my only counter argument would be just what you just said. You know, if, if their pass rush a lot of times comes from the inside, from from Byron Murphy and Tavondre Sweat, who was the Outland Award winner, I did look that up just to confirm that. Yeah. Um, and if if Penix is getting pressure right in his lap he's not he's he typically doesn't make good decisions in in that instance he tends to kind of rush himself so i'm really hoping that we're able to at least hold our own or that they at least design plays where maybe Penix gets a little bit outside the pocket or at least is able to move off his spot that that doesn't become a, a huge hindrance to our offense throughout the game I have faith in Grub and DeBoer that they're going to come up with a good game plan to combat that. But that's something that, you know, if we're looking at pass rush purely, that's that's something to watch and totally ha ties into to the turnovers and what Texas could possibly cause in this game if if they're able to get pressure up the middle on Penix. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the only other thought to, that just creeped into my mind that I didn't mention earlier in that, like, pass rush interior pass rush versus our offensive line conversation is you know i talked about our interior offensive linemen kalepo bulo brailsford dylan johnson chipping in at running back i don't think we give enough kudos to Penix in terms of pass protection he is so good pre-snap like shifting the line communicating who's blocking who which direction are we sliding like, he is so good at like there is so much of the success of this offensive line is that quarterback to center communication. So I think that'll play out huge in this game as well. And like, I don't know, maybe transitioning into players to watch or call outs for this game. Like yeah. I'll take the obvious one. I think <clears throat> this game is going to go as Michael Penix goes. And like, we've seen him play really, really well, best player in the country type performances and then we've seen him have games like you mentioned where he just doesn't seem comfortable and rushing things throwing balls that are ill-advised or sail on him it's like which version of Penix do we get and the thing that I'm very curious to see is you know Penix carries some baggage with his injury history and I think this coaching staff has rightfully so schemed around that and really protected him we've built a great offensive line to protect him texas is texas has had trouble with mobile quarterbacks dylan gabriel milrow is this the game that we take the leash off of Penix's legs a little bit i'm not saying he's nowhere near the rusher the rush threat that either of those two guys are with gabriel and milrow but Penix is still an athlete and he can still beat you with his legs. And he's, that's just something that's a wrinkle of this offense that I think we have all been waiting to see a little glimpse of it for two years now. And I think from coaching and schematic perspective, we have just not added that wrinkle into the offense to protect him. But this is like all the marbles, like all bets are off. Is there any, thought that you guys have around like unleashing his ability with his legs a little bit whether that's what you said connor like moving the pocket but justin i'm curious like do are you in his ear pre-snap like hey if you don't see your first read here and it's like zero blitz like get out of there 
take the 10 yards or whatever? Like, are you actively pushing him to use his legs in this game? Or do you just kind of like keep doing what you're doing and let him win with his arm? I think I'm keep doing what you're doing in the beginning, but as the game goes to the second quarter, maybe start to show them something they haven't seen before so they can make less adjustments to it, or maybe in the second half, depending on the scoreline. Because we saw it a little bit, I mean, a glimpse of it on that third and two or whatnot it was. I mean, Penix lowered the right shoulder and got the first down and that sort of thing. So as long as they can't adjust to it, maybe it's the third quarter. If the game is still close, we unleash it. I'm I'm a big fan of that because he is enough of an athlete where he can pick up first downs. And it's just something that is like literally not on tape. No. For two years. Like, there's nothing that this Texas team is going to look at on film that's like, oh, here's a designed run. Like, here's a, like, that to me is a huge, like, if I'm going into this game, and I know Connor kind of alluded to it earlier, like, Grubb and DeBoer are just offensive guru geniuses. Like, you just get the sense that they have this, like, wizard sleeve of tricks, like, oh my goodness. And to me, like, without a doubt, they do. But to me, this would be like the biggest, like if we just unleash a part of this offense that we've been practicing for two years with like some package plays for Penix to like use his legs and we unleash it in this game, it would just be like, oh, my mind would explode. It'd be like, holy cow, how do you keep that under wraps for two years? We turn into Navy and we're running the speed option to the left. That would really catch him off guard. <laughs> Imagine if Texas has to put a spy out there for Michael Penix. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I mean, all joking aside, I do think that there's some validity to the fact that like that could be a, an X factor in this game that nobody's talking about. Nobody's really predicting to happen. But, you know, I don't know, Connor, do you kind of I, I guess the question to you maybe would be more. Like, we haven't really seen it. Do you feel like Penix still has the athletic juice to be a threat in that way? I see him like 33, 34-year-old Russell Wilson in that aspect. That, like, he'll kind of use it when he needs to late in games, kind of like Justin was saying. But I don't think it should be schemed or like a focal part of the offense. Second, second and seven, you don't want a speed option to the left? No, because we've seen that shit, especially in the red zone, like early in this year. Like they had like they had like some fourth and goal or third and goal or something like that where they did like a speed option and almost got Penix killed. Yeah. And I was just like, what are we doing? I mean, that that that's the definition of getting too cute. And Grub <laughs> has a tendency to do that sometimes. So I really hope that we stay away from that shit in this game. Personally. Personally. I understand your sentiment that like putting <laughs> something out there that is not on tape. Yeah. But I'd rather see it with someone that's like not on tape, like a Tybo Rogers or a Sam Adams Ooh. or something like that. Yeah, I don't think if Sam. He, Ad- I think Sam does. Adams can stay under lock and key for this game. But agree. What I think we'll see is some things we haven't seen before. You said that you've seen these in a little bit of pressure situations, the fourth and one against Wazoo, a uh, little trick play action for thirty some odd yards. I, I think you'll see some of that in this game because when else are you going to use it? Yeah. yeah. So Penix is obviously your your key in or, or call out guy on on offense. Sam, if you were to call it a guy on defense, we should just go around the room. One guy on offense, one guy on defense on UW that we're looking to watch in, in this game as far as a, a key player. 
how lucky am I to be able to go first on both sides of the ball? Uh, yeah, and we all have to choose someone different, but you know, you're our resident UW expert fan. I think we're sunglasses all the time. So we'll give you this, Sam. This is your, your limelight. It's your moments. Yes. Oh, gosh. I think we're all kind of in the same category of fandom this season for sure. Come on. Let's sure. But yours there, but your, you're there. Yours, yours runs deeper. It's in the family. Like it's, it's just different. So go ahead. On the defensive side of the ball, ooh, to me, again, like just going chalk, to me, it's Braylon Trice. Everything that we said about yep. Penix being, you know, potentially error prone under pressure times 10 for Quinn Ewers. Ewers can absolutely have reckless moments. I mean, I it was the beginning of the Oklahoma game. I mean, first play. I, I, I could be wrong. It might might have been the maybe, second or third. Might have been the second or third play. About. But it's just like an easy read. I mean, it's a straight up slant, and it is double covered, and he just forces it in their interception. Like, well, and he looks at he double clutches too. I know, and then he's still like, throws oh, it. Oh, it's not there. It's not there. Tucks I'm it, still gonna like, throw oh, it. Oh fuck it! I'm gonna throw it anyways. <laughs> and so like. To me, on the defensive side of the ball, like for everything that we've spent this whole episode talking about their D-line getting pressure into Penix's face, like I think there's a lot of disrespect out there in the national media for Braylon Trice. Like, yeah, he's only got five sacks or whatever it is, but like the dude is disruptive. And mm-hmm. I think that is going to be something that nobody's really talking about. It's not a matchup that's getting a lot of attention. But if, you know, everybody's talking about, oh, if Michael Penix is uncomfortable, like that'll bode well for Texas. Well, yeah, of course it will. But like the more likely scenario is that Ewers is more uncomfortable with ZTF and Trice. Trice in particular, I think, you know, you look at, I alluded it, I alluded to it earlier, like this Texas team is stacked with talent. They're big, long, strong, and fast. Raylan Trice is an SEC type player from a physicality perspective. And so I think that's going to be someone who I'm watching on defense. If he, if he can be disruptive at all. And again, it's hard against this, this Texas passing attack to get rid of the ball pretty quick. But I think that there's, you know, we talk about the turnover margin. I think Braylon Trice hurries Ewers and Ewers throws a pick at some point in this game. Like I could, I, that seems so reasonable to expect in my mind. ZTF strip, strip sack, maybe? Maybe. I don't, I don't know that yours is as careless with the ball as Caleb Williams is and was in that game, but Fair. I think Trice might have a, have a big day. Justin? Around the horn going offense and defense. Who you got? Yep. I'm going to start with defense. I'm going to say, I'm going to give Connor an ob- a more obvious one. I'm going to go with Thule. Oh, I like that. He was so disruptive against Oregon. And I know Jonathan Brooks is out, but CJ Baxter and Blue are athletes. They're, yeah, they are. They look good on tape. And yes, they're young and they're not as good as Brooks. But if we can totally. I know this sounds counterintuitive, but put this on Quinn Ewers and they have a lack of a run game 
or lack of a run game that they want. I think that just plays into our hands so much if we can tee off on them and obvious passing downs. Pin our ears back for Trice and ZTF and yeah, I mean Zach Texas offense relies upon their run game on their run game and it's it's been really good all year. Even CJ Baxter and Blue have performed in against Iowa or sorry not Iowa State, uh, Texas Tech and Oklahoma State. So if we can eliminate that a little bit, I mean UW has been surprisingly decent against the run. You've seen all the numbers of their opponents coming into the game and UW holds them to one to one and a half yards per carry less than their season average. So as long as we can do that in this game, force them into some third and sixes, third and sevens, pin their ears back, trice full go. I think that's a huge, huge advantage for Washington. So Thule's probably the most important player to do that. So that's why I'm picking him. This is going to be a really stupid answer. For offense, but I'm actually avoiding that and going straight to special teams and Grady Gross. Oh, okay. It's it's a dome. It's going to be a close game. He's going to be asked to make at least one kick in this game. On the other side, I know we're not doing Texas players to watch. Bird Auburn, their kicker is made up to a 54. Grady Gross's longest this year is 47. He might get called upon to kick his season long in this game. I believe Probably in the kid. <laughs> going to be an important moment. They, it, it's. I know we. the kicking game is the kickers are the most maligned people on football teams, but I think that element in the special teams is so important in this game that when you have just nothing, a little bit between the teams, I think that's going to make the difference. All right, Grady Dick Gross. Bears. Grady Gross, left hash, good. Right hash, shit. Yeah, <laughs> very very bad. So Connor, I left you some good ones. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of good ones. I mean, I I like where you're going with with both of those calls. Honestly, Thule was who who I was thinking of. So you kind of stole that one from me. Oh, um, probably unintentionally. But I'll go, I'll go a different direction then. Um, I could go two ways here. Just give us both. The it's secondary related. Know. Yeah, so like the 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 two biggest ones that I'm watching are that second corner position, whether it's Elijah Jackson or yep. or uh, Thaddeus Dixon. So one of the two, or both, I guess, because both are going to be out there in in some instance. Um, who starts and how do they match up against these? You know, pretty damn good receivers against against Texas, and hopefully we're able to protect them a little bit with our safeties and that's the other aspect that i'm looking at and who plays you know is mm-hmm. it is it asa and camp fab out there with don hampton or is it Mikel Osteen and we're we're fucked you know um so it's really that sa- the the safety position the second safety position and the second corner position that I'm that I'm looking at, um, it's hard to call out names because I don't know who's going to play and who's going to start. But whoever is playing those primarily, that's who I'm looking at in this game as far as a key on defense. I, switch I, over I the also, offenses. Yeah, I ahead. think we need to ride the hot hand there too. Like with the sure. way Thaddeus Dixon has been coming on, Connor. I know you've been. I think he should play. Yeah, yeah I think I know he you've start. been a major champion for his play recently, but like. Maybe not a major one, but I, 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 I was 
I liked what I saw against the org against the Oregon Ducks in in yeah. in the Pac-12 championship. So, um, particularly early in that game with him. So I I hope that he I hope that he plays because I think he has a level of physicality that Elijah Jackson just doesn't possess. I think he's also a better tackler than Elijah Jackson too, and that's really key on the edges. Yeah. And the and and the matchup uh, against a Sark offense. So they try to stretch the field. Uh, laterally, you know, a lot of times sideline to sideline is how they want you to defend, and then they try to beat you over the top once once they've done that. So, um, tackling in those in those out outer boundaries is going to be absolutely key in this in this game. So we need our corners to to tackle well, and I think we're better posed to that with Thaddeus Dixon than Elijah Jackson. Though Elijah Jackson has made a couple good tackles in in recent games as well. We'll see how that goes. If I switch over to the other side of the ball. I'm going to go with Par- Parker Brailsford. And, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot, a lot of ways that you could go when you're looking at this offense against this defense. And we highlighted the receivers against their DBs and how we can exploit that matchup. Talked about Dylan Johnson. And if we can get him going in any way, that would be a huge, huge benefit to UW in this game as well. Um, his pass protection is also obviously elite. But, I just want to see how Brailsford can match up against an enormous size difference. You know, we talk about his small size, and he he honestly does really well against guys that are bigger than him a lot of the time. And it's because he's so technically sound, um, because he's really low to the ground, and he gets leverage. And he's just he's just a smart football player, too. So is he able to outsmart, out-technique, guys that are nearly 100 pounds heavier than him when it comes to Devontae Sweat. I don't know. I don't know about that. And I'm assuming that they're probably going to end up trying to avoid having him match up on Sweat one-on-one. They're definitely going to try to key one of the guards in on him as far as pass protection goes. But on the other side of the ball, what does Kwiatkowski do to try to get him one-on-one with with uh, with Brailsford? So I'm interested to see how he holds up just in this game in general. He's been a really, really key cog to this offense's success this year, um, particularly along this offensive line and pass protection. But he's also honestly been pretty damn good in the run game and sealing off holes for Dylan Johnson to run through. So we'll see what happens, but that's a guy that I'm looking at on on offense. I think if he's able to hold up in any way against both those defensive tackles, I really, really like our chances um, to have some offensive success against this Texas defense. I think that's a good call out. All right. Any other highlights that you want to give before we follow up with some predictions here, guys? The only other things that I've thought of, and I know we, we should just jump into predictions, but as you were talking about the secondary Mish Powell has been an unheralded player on this team. <laughs> I mean, we Good talk about up. being 13 and 0. Like, is there any play bigger than his pick six as Arizona State was driving down into our 10 yard line than Mish Powell? Year, man. I mean, I feel like that's just, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I understand it as Husky fans. You want to just erase that whole game from your memory, but like, holy shit, what a monumentous play that was. And then since then, you know, he's kind of just 
disappeared. He hasn't made a, a bunch of key plays. I mean, he had a huge physical hit in that first Oregon game, but like you haven't heard about him because he's, he's erasing the other team's slot receiver and he's a great tackler. So I think he's going to play a key role in this game. I think, you know, totally. we called out Whittington being a really good slot receiver for Texas. Mish Powell, I think is going to have a, have a decent matchup there. How he pitches in to help out with Jatavian Sanders um, and just general tackling. Like that's just another player. I know we had, didn't really call out our, our linebackers too much in this either, but I think Mish Powell's just going to like with this type of offense, that's going to be you know, exposing us laterally having three wide, you know, I, I just think he's kind of an unsung hero of this team hometown hero. I just feel like we got to throw the kid a bone. Mm -hmm. It's a really good call up. Yeah. I mean, you could go one-on-one -on -one down this entire team. You're right. <laughs> you could call out anyone because they're all, yeah. they're all going to be huge in this game. I mean, everything's on the line. Yeah. So with that, let's get to predictions. Sam, yours flashed up here, but we're not going to start with you. Okay. Ooh. Normally we don't. We usually end with me because mine Correct. is the most bold. Justin, where's your head at going into this game? Start with pessimism, end with optimism. It's a good recipe. Wow. All right. Already We've all been decently labels. optimistic this year. Hmm. Texas is going to start well. Steve Sarkeesian's a hell of a play caller. They're going to get theirs. They have matchups that favor them all across the board on offense. They're going to be up at halftime, 21 to 17. Wow. High scoring, high scoring or, first half. High scoring first half. But what do we do? We go into halftime. We make our adjustments. We come out. We're motioning, getting the ball to McMillan or Dunze. They can't stop us. Just like in the first half, they hold us to a field goal. We're both driving, but it doesn't matter. 38-31, UW. Oh, wow. I love it. Second half explosion can't stop us. Silence the pro Texas crowd in New Orleans, and we're off to the national championship. Oh, I love it, Connor. That's sexy. I like that a lot. Um, I think I think this is a pretty even game for most of it, but the, I think the difference in this game. You look at those score lines that Texas has had throughout most of the year, particularly when Qu Quinn Ewers is healthy. Not a lot of close games. Not a lot of close games. You know, quite a few, quite a few blowouts, a few close games down the stretch. But um, they're not as battle tested as this UW team, and I think that's a trait that really plays well whenever you go into these these CFP games that are going to be close and tight knit going into the fourth quarter. I think we're a fourth quarter team. You know, I think we're a fourth quarter team. What is it? We've won seven or eight games in a row by 10 points or less. It's like a, I think it's by seven football points record. or less. Well, USC, uh, USC was, 10, was 10. But yeah. No. Yeah. But I mean, that was even uncomfortable for most game. of that game. Right. <laughs> so I see it playing out kind of like that game though, you know, not as high scoring, but some back and forth, some turnovers on each side, tight knit at halftime. 
one team's up by maybe three points, kind of similar to what Justin was saying, but I don't think it's even probably quite that high scoring. It's probably like in the teens. But I think UW plays the better fourth quarter. And what's the Pete Carrollism? Can you win a game in the first quarter? Can you win a no. game in the second quarter? No. Can you win a game in the third quarter? Hell no. Can you win a game in the fourth quarter? Yeah, boy! Well, in this last game, can you get, win a fucking game in the fourth quarter? He, he was yeah. dropping like F-bombs <laughs> oh, yeah. everywhere. UW on top, 30-20 to 20 in this game. Wow, 10 points. 30 to 20, 20 for Texas. That's defensive masterclass, I would say. I mean, we looked pretty damn good against them defensively last year, and this defense is better. Sam? We yeah. gave up some late points in that game that made it closer than it was. My score is a little bit less optimistic as Connor. But we're on the same same wavelength, and here's why. I've been pulling at this thread kind of sporadically through the episode. I think this Husky team is getting healthy. You know, everybody talks about this month off can, you know, cause some issues in terms of tackling and, you know, you're not practicing live. You kind of get some stagnant time, you know, school, holidays, the whole deal. I think that bodes in UW's favor. I mean, we we obviously we were the healthiest we've been since week three in the Pac-12 championship. We got out of that very physical game relatively unscathed. Dylan Johnson, Jeremy Bernard's ankles are going to be good to go. Jalen McMillan is back. So I mean, he looked 100% to me. I'm sure he's not. He's probably 90, 95, something like that. Bulo and this offensive line is clicking. So I think UW is going to, like, we're coming in with our starters. I mean, barring the safety, smoke and mirrors, but, like, we're coming in with our best players ready to go for the most part. Can't really say that for the Texas side. I think Jonathan Brooks being out, again, C.J. Baxter is a really great talent, but you cannot replace Jonathan Brooks. Like, he is so good. They're going to miss him heavily. And I don't think anybody, I haven't heard anybody else talk about it besides us. This Xavier Worthy ankle injury would have me shaking in my cowboy boots if I was a Longhorn fan. Because if he's not got the explosive threat that he has and that he brings to this offense, I see this Texas offense struggling. And I think this is a 33-20 to game in the fourth quarter. I think the Huskies are pretty much in control. I think it's 33 to 20. I think Texas has the ball late. They score a late touchdown, 33 27. They try an onside kick. Romo Dunze recovers. Game over. Oh, please UW, don't. No, don't put that image in my head. UW 33, Texas Longhorns 27. Score looks closer than it actually was. So it sounds like I have the closest game. Technically, as far as like the like the game flow, yeah, yes, yeah. I, I mean, just, mine's close into the fourth quarter, I think, but yes. Like I think, I think our, it's I think it's tied like 
20 to 20 going into yeah, the I just don't see that many out. stops, guys. Honestly, I don't think I think we get more stops than them, but I don't see how Texas can stop us. Like, I think we could get into the 40s. I, I, I just don't. I agree. I think we could. Listen, you but... don't know how bad I wanted to like go 45, 48 for this game. <laughs> but like, I... I felt like holding them down into the 20s was like, you know, I I think the most realistic outcome is that Texas doesn't score as much, yeah, as they true. think, and like we don't necessarily blow the doors off them. But that's I, true. I mean, like their interior defensive line is going to make a play. A couple this is plays. true. This is true. But at the end of the day, in the Superdome, like Justin said, like has anybody stopped this team in a dome with our three wide receivers healthy? Not a chance. Is there anything about this Texas defense that think that makes you think that they're going to be the team to to buck the trend? No. There's maybe one or two, but like Oh, I can't wait, boys. I can't wait. Uh, <laughs> New Year's Day, it's 5:45. It's so late. Which is so odd to me. Like why would the New Orleans game kick before the West Coast Rose Bowl game? Is it just the Rose Bowl's always tradition? Been the, day, the Rose Bowl's always right? been the day. Yeah. Yeah. Right after the Rose Parade and the whole thing, right? Yeah. But... I mean, it'd be a good lineup of full day of football. Yeah, I mean, I don't care about Oregon Liberty. But I do. One... I want Liberty to win so bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's, Look how petty it's we are lo- after after we beat them three times in a row and we're still it's, super okay. petty. Okay. It's okay. a lose lose situation, right? Like they go and kick Liberty's ass. It's what they're it's expecting like, to is do. Playing. If they barely win, it's like holy shit, Oregon. What are you is doing? Troy Franklin they're playing? I don't, I don't know. know. I honestly don't know. I, I honestly have not. I, or, Oregon's attention. so far out of my mind. They're beneath me. I don't know. The only thing, the only bone that I will ever throw to Oregon will be right now, and it's this. And it is relevant to this matchup with Texas. I think from the bottom of my heart, the Oregon Ducks, the last two years, the fact that we've beaten them three times, Oregon is a very talented, very physical test every time you play them. And we've come out on top three times. Going into this game, we talked about this Texas team hasn't seen wide receivers or even an offensive line like ours. Maybe offensive line, you know, you could argue Alabama, maybe. But like the fact that we've played Oregon, I we go into this game against Texas, and like the level of physicality is not going to be a surprise to us at all. Like we are battle tested to Connor's point. And I appreciate the fact that Oregon gave us the opportunity to beat the shit out of them three times. Build confidence that we are a physical West Coast football team ready to make a statement on Monday. And these players, if you listen to them with their media availability this week, yeah, they're pissed. They're fed up with it. They're tired of being underdogs. They're tired of being disrespected as being basketball on grass, a finesse team. Oh, maybe they're this year's TCU bullshit. (laughs) This team is pissed off. And that's why I think this game is not going to be as close as people think it will be. The score at the end might look different, but I think this Husky team is the better team. And I think it'll be evident on Monday. Well, all of us have us going to the national championship, guys. Oh, a little bit of a teaser. Who do you think we're playing? 
Bama. My head says Bama. I think Alabama's going to roll Michigan. I think it'll be low I don't scoring. think it's going to be rolling. I don't think but it's roll. I think, I think it's like a 24-14 scenario. Like I a 10-point yeah. game. Yeah. I think yeah. it'll be kind of a boring game to watch, to be honest. But I think Alabama's yeah. a better team. And yeah. We'll see. I, I think the Texas UW game will not be boring. Let me just say that, given my prediction. No, I don't think it'll be boring in any of our predictions. <laughs> yeah. Look, there's no doubt that Sark is a, a good coach, but we have the AP coach of the year on our end and a full month to to game plan for this game. I just I can't see us not being ready, not being focused, and not having a good scheme going into this game, particularly hey offensively. Sark can get rattled. You saw him at the beginning of that Alamo Bowl stressed out oh, after, shit, all that, after all yeah. that film. He I had hope to watch no one touches dubbed. him in the tunnel this year. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no kidding. DeBoer don't give I guarantee a shit. you that's that's secure like that's head of security is like do not lay a finger on Sark. Don't even look at lay him. a finger on Sark. Mm. Just let him go if he wants to go. Just let him go. Yeah. I mean, uh I just love DeBoer so much. Yeah. So much. And guys, in like four four and a half days, Oof. we're gonna know. If we're going to the national championship, uh, oh god! And I'm just gonna say this: whether it's Michigan or Alabama, you're in the game with this offense. If we we are still healthy going into that game, like we actually can win the national championship. Oh yeah, yeah. If it's Michigan, it's wide open this year. If it's Michigan, like any of the four teams can win it this year. If it's Michigan, guys. Oh, we're <laughs> rolling. We rolling. I think that that is a matchup that I like. I'd like to I'd... quote William William Inge. We rolling. We rolling. Linebacker coach of the year. We rolling. <laughs> a lot of coaches of the year on on this staff. Jamarcus Shepard, Nick Sheridan. A lot of shout outs to go go across this whole coaching staff. I think they'll have the boys ready to play. Before we wrap up. We've been of the mindset and on the Sam Hoganson hierarchy of, you know, a successful season. <laughs> I think we're oh, all yeah. uh, we're all in the camp that this is a successful season. Like, no doubt about that. This is an 100%. amazing season. Right. Right. We'd be stupid to think otherwise. However, however. When it's this close, when you can taste it and you don't know when you're going to get it back. How badly do you want this right now? Justin, I'll roll to you first. I mean, uh, there's no word to describe it. I I need this. It's not a want. Like I need, I need us to move on to show the world the West Coast plays big boy football. UW belongs and is at the top, and we go to Houston to crack some schools. I need that. So yeah, it's not a why. It's almost a it's almost a need because I'm gonna spend months agonizing in pain if we don't win this game. Sam, are you in the same camp? Are you gonna be like in agony if we lose this game on Monday? I wouldn't say I'd be in agony if we lose it. But what I will say is this as a husky fan that has endured things that I would never wish upon another college football fan. 
the five-year stretch of he who shall not be named. Everything that I've been through as a Husky fan, if you go back to 2008, 2009, and you tell me that young Husky fan that's just depressed as all hell, that in 2023, your Husky football team, national champions, I don't know that I would believe you. With all the shit that we've been through, and I'm even talking for the generation before us, the people that were spoiled with the Don James era, all of the Husky fans that were lost in the desert of the 2000s of terrible Husky football, everybody's back. The band is back together. Husky Stadium's rocking. It's sold out. This would just be an absolute cap of Husky fan. Like this would be, I mean, I can't tell you how jealous I am of anyone who is living and breathing in 1991 as a Husky football fan. Like it, we want to talk about agony. Every time I have to listen to my dad talk about how great 1991 was every single time I have to Sam, I was nine days away from experiencing that. I could hear it. I was in the womb. (laughs) (laughs) I was almost on my way out. But what I'm saying is like, people have experienced Husky success on a level that I have never experienced. And quite honestly, for the majority of my life, I never felt like I'd be able to experience. So instead of harboring on what agony I may have, if we lose this game, I'm focused on what you're talking about is at the tip of our fingers a moment that I would look forward to being the crotchety 85 year old on the front porch telling some young Husky fan, Oh, like you should have been around for the 2023 season. Let me tell you about Michael Penix jr. And Romo Dunze. Like that's what I want. Like I want it for these guys. I want it for DeBoer and his loyal staff that have come with him all the way from the bottom. Now we're here from Sioux Falls to the college football playoff of the University of Washington. I want the moment for the players, the coaches, the fans. Like This is the potential for our 1991 moment, our 1991 season. As like, I mean, I'm talking 50 years down the road, being like, you should have seen the 2023 Husky football team. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about going 14-0 to the national championship game, the chance to be 15 and fucking oh national champions no share of title with miami no share of title with byu none of that bullshit undeniable national champions 2023 husky football team that's how bad i want it like that is a moment that i will carry for the rest of my life to my deathbed if we win the national championship and so I appreciate everything that has come this season to this point. But yeah, like I recognize that we're two games away from that. And if we don't win this game, or even if we lose in the national championship, yes, we'll still talk about the 2023 team. And it'll still be in greater light than the 2016 CFP team. But it still will not be that 1991 trump card that's like, it would be more than that. So 
I don't know. I I just went too deep. I don't know if people followed that or not, but if you did, no, it's I'm glad fantastic. You did. But it's yeah, I would cry. I yeah. honestly would cry on the verge think of tears thinking about it. Yeah, I think I would too. I think I would too. You know, it's in the age of social media, it's been really, really cool to watch clips on Twitter, Instagram, uh, what, what be it, and see kids, you know, growing up with this team and falling in love with Husky football and getting the chance to go to New Orleans as a Christmas present and go to the game. Um, and Michael you Penix know, get, Jr. jersey signed. Like, yep the ex the excitement on their faces when when they receive that kind of that kind of th thing related to this Husky football team is just really cool to see, and it just it makes me emotional and makes me um it makes me think to like back to like you know whenever we watched a two thousand two thousand one team go to the Rose Bowl and stuff like that and that was cool but like this is on a different level obviously oh yeah and um but I'm glad that. Like this generation growing up with this is getting that moment to be able to latch onto this team and fall in love with this team because that's what inspires them to be Husky fans for life. And that's where Sam and I and Justin are at. Um, so I really hope that they're able to cap this this moment off with a, a national championship. But no matter what these guys are in the history books, 13 and 0 is is, you know, unblemished and un unprecedented in, in Husky history. So no matter what they've they've had their moment, but it would it's it's just right there, you know. You can taste it. That I just I don't know when we're gonna be back here again. And I just want to take advantage of this while we have it. You know, Bama's gonna be back here again. Texas will probably be back here again. Michigan for sure will be back here again. UW is borderline blue butt blood, but you know, they're probably more historically like a top twenty to twenty-five team yeah we're here right now let's take care of business let's beat texas on monday let's look forward to a national championship and let's win the whole thing and i want some goddamn respect if we, we beat win... texas i think we'll get it no we, <laughs> no, won't. we won't <laughs> we're gonna be an underdog in the national championship. Oh, if we play Bama too, we're going to be like a two score underdog. Yeah. Especially if Bama ends up rolling Michigan, like so it's going to be. Yeah. What a national championship mean is some goddamn respect. Yep. What I'm would sure. be our, what would we be 15 and 0 beat Texas, beat Michigan or Alabama, beat Oregon twice. What's our win streak at that point? Beat 22, SC, 22 beat in a row Utah. going into next season. Yep. People yep. are talking about UW being like, the best team, the best program of the country. Kalen DeBoer, arguably the best coach in the country right now. Un like, undeniably, he's AP coach of the year. That is what I want. Some goddamn respect on my name. Yep. Totally agree. Well, it all goes down Monday night, 540 Pacific Standard Time. Number two, UW. Number three, Texas. All in the line to go to the national championship in this Sugar Bowl. New Year's Day. Thanks for listening, folks. As always, we appreciate the support. Subscribe and follow if you haven't already. Leave us a message via the Spotify for Podcasters link in our description. Until next time. Go dogs! <laughs>